right, well, it's good to be able to put a note. The water is unopened. So that's, I like that. There's nothing more disconcerting. You know, you just sometimes you're just like, was that a click or not, you know? And so the cheaper the water bottle, you you know, the water you buy, the more the less of a click you get. So then you're just kind of like. <laughs> yeah, and we don't only walk by faith around here. We drink by faith. So, all right. And I only mean non-alcoholic beverages. All right. So, okay. So uh, I have a question, uh, but not for you. I have a question that came in, and uh, I don't see the questioners here. So I'm still going to run with it. I told them I was going to do it. They asked me Sunday, which was good because it gave me a little bit of time to prepare um, uh, and look at it a little bit today on the way in. So um, I thought, you know what, this will be a good. This is a good question, and it's also a good opportunity to do some Bible study in a group. So I'm going to try to do that tonight. And um, this is the question. It's about the thigh. Okay, the thigh. And so if you have your Bibles, turn over to uh, Genesis 24, 1. That's our first verse. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 1. I'll put, I'm going to try to get these verses up tonight so you can, or maybe you can uh, look them up with me as we go. <clears throat> so Genesis chapter 24. And then we're going to and grab your, oh, thank you, hon. It's, no, it was not where it, this was not. I know where it was, and it was not where it was supposed to be. It was in. It was. It wasn't. Where was it? Is it in the kitchen, right? Yeah, I know. It's supposed to be in my office on the desk. This is usually on the desk in my office. So, but that exchange was she went down and looked in the office, and it wasn't there. But it was in the kitchen, and I knew that. I should have told her where it was at. But anyway, <clears throat> yeah. That's my binding. Long before we had a publishing ministry, I had a publishing ministry. So, <laughs> so that's been on there for a while. I, I took that Bible, and this is the this is the first Bible that I ever uh, I got back in 1987, summer of 87, and I bought it. We used to have a Bible. We used to have a Randy Cross had a bookstore next to the Kansas City Baptist Temple. And I went in there and I bought this, and so I bought one for me and one for Amy. At the time, I think it was sixty dollars, and uh, and so I wore the cover off. I had it recovered, but the guy said, "Oh," and I wanted a new cover, but he's like, "Oh, this is good, and I'll just rebind it." So he rebound my original cover, which was okay, but then that fell off, and and now I, I don't actually want to mess with it. It's too fragile. I don't want to. I watched him. I have. I had a heart attack the first time I took it in. And the guy right in front of me rips the spine, uh, rips the cover apart, and just rips my Bible apart right in front of me. And it was so, it literally was like traumatic. So I'm, I'm like, I am not watching that again, you know. So, yeah. Oh, I know, brother, hanging the fence for sure. I just, I just couldn't take it. So, so after that, I'm like, you know what? I'll just, I bought, I got, you know, obviously this, the one I preach from is. Is the Oxford wide margin? That's my preference, um, um, you know. But I, it's n- n- yeah, because I got these on. Uh, but no, there is no such. So yeah, so I don't know what that has to do with anything. But I love that Bible, though. That's my that's my what my real Bible. You know, this one is also my real Bible. But 
that's got a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And it's also an indication I have not taken the time to transfer all my notes out of that Bible into this one. So uh, I bring this one for QA Bible study because I have a lot in it. All right, so Genesis chapter 24. So uh, let's read the text, and I'll give you the question. Somebody want to grab? And Anybody want to read tonight? It's only four verses. Okay. Genesis 24, 1 through 4. Larry's going to read it. Yep. That should be on. Test, test. Oh, caught him sleeping, Larry. All right. Genesis 24, 1. And Abraham was old and well, stricken in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had put, I pray thee thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of Canaanites of the Canaanites among whom I dwell but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac Amen you got it thanks Larry alright so I think many of us may be familiar with this text if you're not. So Isaac is, Abraham is the, you know, the patriarch, the father of faith. Um, he receives the covenant promise that eventually uh, brings forth the Lord Jesus Christ, the nation of Israel. And, uh, and so that's, he's, he's huge. Um, after the first 12 chapters of Genesis, which have all the, all the templates for all the doctrines of the Bible are there, you, in chapter 12 you transition to this promise to abraham which is the promised seed so 12 chapters later you get to chapter 24 and and isaac is now he's born and he's in um i don't have his age down but i've calculated it in the past i forget how old he was but he wasn't that young actually and uh he's getting married so abraham has a abraham grabs his servant who is eleazar in genesis 15 and verse 2 uh and eleazar is 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 going to go out and help um on Abraham's half and find us a bride for Isaac. Huge type here. Um, anybody want to run the type down for me? I bet you guys know it. I know some of you know it, like the back of your hand. But anybody want to just kind of lay out the typology here? That's not the question. So this is just a little background work. Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Can you do it on the mic? Because uh, the online people won't be able to hear you. Here you go. And this is just some background, so we're not going to delve too deep into this, but just kind of lay it out. Give us the three there, the Abraham, the Eleazar, and the Isaac. All right. I can't hit the right buttons today. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. You have an excuse, brother. <laughs> <laughs> nope, no excuses. <laughs> Okay, uh, Isaac is a type of Christ as we see in Genesis chapter 22. 
and then Rebecca would be a type of the church uh, based on the fact that she's a Gentile. Uh, Eleazar went to Syria to get, you know, Rebecca, but she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. Anyway. Yep. Uh, do you want any more? And who's Eleazar? Eleazar uh, probably is the picture of the Holy Spirit. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. So you really have uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost here in typology and types. Um, and so, and all that's a good picture. Thank you, Ron. That's exactly what I was looking for. And that's just a little bit of background, but that's not the question. But it, it kind of could be pertinent. So that's the text, and that's just kind of a you know historical and a and a uh, and a and a doctrinal application of type there. But th- this is the um, the question that came from this, and uh, we'll bounce off of this question. The question is, what is the significance of placing the hand under the thigh in the Old Testament? That's why I wrote thigh. What's the significance of that? So um, that was a good question. And so <clears throat> I could just give you an answer. Um, but I thought, you know what, this is a really good example. Of how, do I, how do I know what to say on this? Um, you know, because I don't know anything. And so I don't know any more than you know. All I know is what the Bible has. So I, I thought, you know, I'm going to just I'm going to do with y'all what I would do to find the answer, so you can see how to find out what the answer is. Because it doesn't really matter what I think, and it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what does the Bible teach us about this process of someone sticking their hand under their thigh and making a vow, right? That's what we need to know because that was the question. So. Um, so this happens to be uh, one of the principles of Bible study, right? Uh, this one would, would fall under first mention. So it's first mention in the Bible. Now, it's the first mention of, of, of the uh, – uh, I don't know that it's the first mention of the word thigh. Let me – it is? Okay. You check that for me? Okay, good. Woo! Uh, it's also, so it's the first mention of the word thigh. Thank you, Rex, because I didn't have that written down. It's also, if you did a phrase search and under, and you looked up under and thigh together, it would be, you would find it here as well. You're only, you're only going to find this mention, this phrase together in any shape, fashion, or form. You're only going to find it four times total in the Bible. Okay, so, um, and we'll get to that in a moment. So we start by just studying the Bible, right? So we're comparing Scripture with Scripture. First mention, remember that in principles of Bible study, right? Any what what happens when we find a first mention? What's that do? What's that help us do? Oftentimes, now these are principles; these are not laws, right? Because uh, it's not always the case. But this is typically a first mention is going to reveal what? Yeah, say that on on online. That's that's exactly right. Say that to everybody. It establishes the definition Amen. of a word or a phrase. Yeah, it, it gives a definition, doesn't it? Most most of the time, uh, it sets a precedent. It usually is, you know. And you can change. And, and what you do from there, sometimes you look at a first mention and you think it really doesn't. Like, what's that got to do with the price of tea in China? You know. But then you start running it down through the Bible, and sometimes until you, it takes a while. Maybe you got to get the whole. What's called full mention, which you know that's a lot of that's a lot of times that's a lot of references you got to run down before the clicks why this one was so important. 
but not always. Sometimes you just don't know and you have to trust the Holy Ghost. But in this, time, in this, in this example, the first mention of it is Genesis chapter 24. And specifically, we're talking about verse 2, right? So we're talking about 24-2 is the first mention. All right? So we got one principle of Bible study. Somebody want to give me the last mention? Yeah, in the old days, we had to really work hard. Now we just look at our phones. So, Revelation 19, 16, all right? And that's uh, that's last mentioned. So that book ends this. And we'll talk about what's in between here in just a moment. So, Rex, let me give you the mic. And you tell us what Revelation 19, 16 says, which most of you, many of you know this verse anyway. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah, okay. So here we see a type we already established of the Father and Abraham. Uh, we have the Son and Isaac. We have the Holy Ghost. In um, uh, Eleazar, El- Eli, Ezer. All right. <clears throat> and now, this isn't a type. This is this is called an anti-type. Not to be confused with Antichrist. He's the real McCoy. He's the authentic. Um, uh, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, now the Lord Jesus Christ has a he has a name. On his thigh. What is that name? Right? It's the King of Kings. All right. So we're learning some stuff. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. All right. So, uh, okay. And this is, we're just researching right now. So, we're just finding out what the Bible says. Okay, now that's interesting. So we got some information here, um, and so it's important. It's in, it's so what we know historically. This was an important vow, right? Because Abraham is sending out Eleazar to help find uh, Rebecca, his son, and there's and that's associated, right? What is all this associated with? Well, it's associated with a promise, a promise seed. As, as Paul points out in Galatians, uh, as I've mentioned Sunday, not seeds, plural, but a seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it's all leading to how his seed is going to be blessed uh, as the stars of heaven, as the sand of the sea. So if Abraham has a son, it's important that Isaac has a son. So the promise will be fulfilled. So it's really important what this work that Eleazar has. It's very important, right? This is like... A big deal, and even though you know he sends him to Lamech, which or not, uh, or he sends him to Syria, uh, he sends him to his own people, uh, and so he keeps it in the line of Heber, Abraham's dad or grandfather, actually. So uh, he's keeping it, which is I know we don't do that today. They, well, they do that maybe today around here, but anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but uh, they're kind of keeping it in the in the uh, in the bloodline. Let's keep it that way. All right, so. They got the thigh. We're talking. The question is, why is it so important to put the hand under the thigh? So let's see where that occurs 
again or does it occur again in the Bible? Well, I'm going to help you out because we're not going to go through every reference. But the second mention um, is, is in verse 24 and verse 9, which is just the culmination of this, right? So that's where Eleazar actually puts his hand under Abraham's thigh, and they actually execute on the vow. And the third and the final mention of this um, is in Genesis 47 and just in verse 29. So let's go to Genesis 47. Genesis 47, and look at verse 29. Genesis 47 and verse 29. Somebody want to uh, read that? Yeah. Let's, you Can you run that, Rex? Thank you. Cole, read that for us. Time drew nigh that Israel must die, and he called his son Joseph and said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Okay, thank you. So now, the third mention of, of uh, under the thigh is in Genesis, I said 49-27, right? 47. You guys know how frail my brain is. It's pretty bad. It is only the Holy Ghost that it helps me. Okay, Genesis Man, I need Jesus. I'm telling you. <laughs> Genesis 47, 29. All right. All right. So, so this is the third. Uh, and, I, and I know this because I've already studied it, unless you can show me differently. Uh, this is the third and final um, mention, all right, of what I'm just going to call it the, of this action. Uh, this, uh, uh, the action of making a vow. I'll call it a vow um, with hand under thigh. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a little uncomfortable. Hey, son, come over here. You know, I'm sitting on the chair. Put your hand under my thigh. We're going we're gonna to make a deal. You know, this is serious business. And it is serious business. That's why. I mean, actually, this is why. I mean, it's a really good question. I'm like, hmm. Now we don't do that today, typically. As a matter of fact, you don't you don't see this again uh, unless someone else knows a reference. I don't know of one. I looked just running the under thigh through the Bible. Yep, the last mention of this of this of that this is in Judges. What is that? Which is not to be overlooked, by the way. Judges three sixteen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it is a little superfluous to what we're talking about. But just to kind of cap it off, in the time of Judges, right, you have a guy named Ehud uh, who is a left-handed man. And he takes, straps a, a dagger to his thigh, on his right thigh, and uses that to slay, uh, did I say Ehud? Uh, no, what's, what's his name? He, he slays Ehud. It is Ehud. Okay, so Ehud slays Eglon. There you go. Thank you. So Ehud slays Eglon. Right. It's upon us. Right. So it's that's what I'm saying. It's a little superfluous, 
it's the only time. That's the last time. It, yeah, it doesn't say even under, does it? It's on the thigh. Yeah, it's under the raiment. Yeah. So, just to be precise, because we're doing Bible study. And there actually is a very, the Holy Ghost is being very specific about Ehud and what he's doing here. So, that's another Bible study perhaps we could get into. Uh, tonight, I'm not going to delve into that because we'll get off on another, that's a whole other thing we could talk about. But it's pertinent when it comes down to the issue of the thigh and also how we end. Actually, it does have some significance how we end here with Jesus' name on his thigh. But because uh, judgment comes to Ehud from a left-handed man with a dagger on his thigh under his garment. But anyway, that's a whole we could get into a whole other message there. So I'll just throw that out there because after that, at least in my studies, I don't find anything else mentioned about under and thigh in the Bible. So, okay, so we haven't exhausted the word thigh. So you can run the word thigh down. Um, and I don't remember. Uh, there's, there's three mentions of, of two incidents of a, of a cow with a hand um, under thigh. There's a fourth of a last mention, um, uh, a cow. I think it's a typo. I was doing that with my thumbs. Don't, I retract what I just said. There's a okay. So uh, let me let me get into where I was at. So we there's in Genesis 32, uh, God touches the hollow of Jacob's thigh. That's significant. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. But we're not going to get into that tonight. <laughs> we can we can bookmark that question about Ehud seriously, but I don't want to, I don't there yeah I I, I can tell you the quick answer, but I, I'll, I'll let that settle for a minute. There is a significance to every bit of the detail there about it being him being left-handed, being under his garment on his right thigh, and who he's slaying Eglon and all of that. So, um, and so Genesis thirty-two twenty-five when he saw that he prevailed. Uh, not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. Uh, and again, Genesis thirty-two twenty-five. if you just keep running the word thigh through the Bible, you'll see that Jacob, right, Jacob's, who is, all, who is the son of Isaac, right, um, he has the hollow of his thigh touched by God in a wrestling match. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So... Uh, and that's not a good thing. I mean, in the sense of it wasn't like, you know, he never walked the same again. It was good because God, he got the blessing and he became, he becomes through this. He become he prevails with God and becomes Israel, right? That's, he gets a new name. He's a prince and he prevailed with God. So that's a great thing. But the point is, uh, Jacob, dude, he was quite the wrestler, by the way. When you wrestle with the Lord all night long and he pops your leg out of joint, I mean, that's like... That's one tenacious fellow, let me tell you. <laughs> so, so, uh, Twenty-five. 
31 and 32. Yeah, 31, verses 31 and 32 also mentions it. And as you go on through the Bible, you're going to find several more mentions. And for time's sake, I'm not going to look up every reference. <clears throat> the next series of mentions um, um, in Genesis 32, 31 through 32, it speaks to the same matter twice more, dealing with dealing with Jacob's thigh. In Genesis 47, verse 29, uh, there's a whole other set of mentions uh, of thigh. Um, In in the next series of mentions of thigh, it's found found in Numbers 5, 21 through 22. um, And that series of verses deal with adultery. So so you kind of got a discussion of the thigh around Jacob. And then you have uh, adultery. In Numbers, Numbers chapter 5, and there's several, that is a terrible, if you can see that, Numbers chapter 5, verses 21 through 22 and 26 through 27, and it talks about how um, the priest would go through a process of, if someone was suspicious of their spouse being in adultery, their thigh, they had a process, and if they were lying, their thigh would rot. I'm summarizing it. You can go back and read it. And uh, it's like, whoa. So, again, if they're unfaithful to their vow, their thigh rots. Interesting. Okay? And so, and again, for time's sake, then we see Ahud in Judges chapter 3, verse 16. And there's actually several references of thigh in relation to Ehud, uh, you know, verses 16, verse 21 in chapter 3. Uh, and then there's a mention in Judges 15:8 about uh, smiting people hip and thigh in a great slaughter. Um, Psalm chapter 54, uh, 45, I'm sorry, in, in verse 3 deals with girding thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with the glory of thy majesty. And so here we see uh, a sword uh, girded up upon the thigh. So you have this a dagger with Ehud. And then you start seeing this discussion of a thigh uh, with a sword upon it over and over again. Well, a couple times anyway. Um, and smoting people hip and thigh. And then there's a mention of Babylon's shame called a Babylon is likened to a female. All right. So you, you know that, you know, the prophecy in Daniel chapter two, Babylon is a po- portion of a statue. But but also God in the book of Isaiah, turn over. Just look at this prophecy. This is interesting. Um so as we put, and I'm just, I'm, we're not drawing, we're just looking at what the Bible says here, okay? Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43, uh, and this is a prophecy that God gave to Isaiah concerning the, the, the Babylonians. Um, Isaiah 47, I said 43, forgive me. Isaiah 47. And just start in verse 1. Isaiah, I'll give you a second to get there. Uh Uh-huh. Isaiah 47. And verse, look down in verse 1. He says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. 
Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks. Make bare thy leg. Uncover the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee um, as a man. As for our Redeemer, uh, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of the Kingdoms. So God's taken a shot at the Babylonian female deity, which still exists to this day, by the way. Uh, and uh, he's saying, I'm going to, you know, uh, he deals with uncovering the thighs. And basically, he's going to take her out and uh, and she's going to be ashamed, right? And so it's it's in somewhat flowery metaphors here or discrete metaphors but he's he's being very specific in verse two when he says uncover thy thigh pass over the rivers you know gird up thy thigh thy neckness shall be uncovered uh, which is not a good thing revelation 17 and verse six that's what happens to the whore mystery babylon religion mother of harlots so we get to see the end of the story uh in revelation chapter 17 so that's a that's a dual prophecy uh cyrus king of persia came in and uh, overnight took out the Babylonian power, and just like that, she was gone. But he's also he's also dealing with the mystery of Babylon religion. So it's, it's, it's a lot, there's a lot going on in that passage, both historically and then also history somewhat repeats itself. And as without getting into a whole other Bible study, but that the, 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 the seat and synagogue of Satan moved from Babylon to Pergamos to Rome throughout history. And end times prophecy also deals where there's a shadow of what's coming in Revelation, Revelation 17 to mystery Babylon religion, mother of harlots, okay? Which kind of spans your mind a little more, right? So you look at that prophecy, you think, wow, interesting. Her thighs, hmm. Don't think too long on her thighs. The Bible and Proverbs warns about that too. All right, so... Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm actually, yeah, no, I, I know that sounds like I'm being funny, but I'm actually serious. She is, she is, and not in a, not in a, that, yes, men are men, yes, but it's, a, it's also, she is seductive, not in a, not in a physical sense, but in a physical sense, in a religious sense. She's calling men. The good man is gone. Come on over. He won't know. And so I'm just saying, when I say that, Proverbs is talking about very practical stuff for sure. But also there's a, there's also, it's a, God is also warning about the um, seduction of false religious systems. And so that is funny. Ha ha. It's true. You know? And so I wasn't really making a joke, but it's okay to laugh because it is funny. So I'm not trying to, I'm not correcting anybody, but as funny as that sounds, you know, you take that analogy, that is what false religious systems do is they draw men in. And before they know it, it's like a dart strikes through their heart and there's like, it's over. And they're like, what happened? You follow a, a false religious system. Anyway, so, okay. Yes, ma'am. That is a great question. That's worthy of another Bible study. No, no, I will give you, no, no, that's a good question. I, I will, since I've, park the car on this a little bit because some of this opens you up now this is why i'm taking a little bit of time and massaging it and because 
Because when you study your Bible, now obviously, if you just read through this the first time, you may not put together the virgin with Revelation 17, right? That takes, by reason of use, you have your senses exercised, and you read through the Bible systematically, you do your devotional reading, you listen to the messages. By the way, if you want to hear a really good message, it's pastor approved. Last night, Code Blaze preached at the Certainty Conference, and uh, it was it was a tremendous message on your responsibility. Every preacher wants to have this message preached to their people about not because not and it wasn't harsh and it wasn't a bad message. It wasn't beating up the sheep at all. It was a very encouraging message. But one of the things that he pointed out was the the necessity of and it's probably what sparked me to want to slow roll this a little bit tonight. Uh, of the of the Bible of the body of Christ actually studying the voluminous and copious amounts of information that we tread out on a re- regular basis, and one of the analogies that he gave, and he wasn't talking about like churches in America in general. He's talking about the churches like us that, that hold fast to the faithful word. That, that we dig into the Bible, we study our Bibles, we we tread out the corn to the best of our ability. Um, but his point was, you know, it's it's not it's 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 my responsibility. It's our pastor's responsibilities and our leader's responsibilities to, to mine the word of God and, and give you all the bread. But he made the point, what do you do with it? Like, do you actually take the notes? Do you go back through and study? Do you know the subject any better after the preacher has gone through it than you did before? And how much are you responsible for? And how can people say I can't get enough out of church when you're in churches that tread out the corn and you're looking for something other than the word of God and there's nothing more than the word of God. The word of God is all you really need, but people aren't trained. I don't mean that trained like training, but their, their mind's not focused on actually the most important thing, which is the words of God and like studying their Bible. It's like evaporating from the consciousness of the church. He did a great analogy. Um, last night. You can go back. I'm going to ruin it for you if you go back and watch it. But this just was awesome. It resonated with me. Code Blaze. He's out of, yeah, it's where Ann Boyette is down in Ocala. Uh, uh, Ocala, I don't remember. Temple Baptist. Uh, uh, you remember? Downtown Baptist in Ocala. I think it's Downtown Baptist Temple. Yes. Oh, Joel's question. She asked a good question about this virgin. What's that got to do with the text? And Babylon, because why would Babylon be a virgin? Because we know mother of harlots. How can a mother of harlot be called a virgin? And why? Well, is there? Let me just ask you this: Is there a is there a female deity that you could think of today that would be called a virgin? That's associated with a Babylonish Babylonian religion. Okay. Yeah. So. And that's not that's okay that you don't know that. He uh, Jeff says Mary. You're thinking of Mary in the Bible. So what Jeff is pointing out is there's a heresy that's taught to this day that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Oh yes, that is official Catholic doctrine. Today, she had nine more kids because you read the Bible. Well, nine. I don't think she had nine more kids. She had more kids, yes. And so she had, yeah, James, the brother of Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. So what are you going to take, what the Bible teaches or what Rome teaches? I was Catholic for 30 years. I 
Yeah, I, I, and, I, and I'm not surprised, but I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not, so I'm, I'm not, like, I'm just saying, if you go home tonight and get on the Vatican's website or whatever and you study this doctrine, Rome teaches that Mary is a perpetual virgin. Am I not right? Okay, that is their official doctrine. Now they, you weren't right. You weren't a very good Catholic, but uh, actually, that's you're the kind of Catholic they wanted. I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I mean they don't want their Catholics. They don't, they don't want you. No, that wasn't an insult. They don't want you questioning. They don't want you questioning the the vicar. They don't want you reading the Bible. The right, because because you will get this concept that the Bible is elevated above the word of the the vicar of Christ. And that's again official Catholic doctrine. That's not that's not supposition. That's not even an. I don't know. I'm not a Roman. I don't. I don't. I'm in America, and I wasn't born in 1800, so it's not a deal for me here. But that is officially what they teach. So, so uh, I'm glad you asked that question. I don't want to get the Bible study too far off, but when I mention Revelation 17, which precedes Revelation 19, right? So it's pertinent to the the last mention. Um, there is something to that because you have a virgin birth of the Messiah. But then you have a Babylonian religion that has a female deity that, that really predates it actually predates Babylon going all the way back to Egypt and Isis. I mean this is a this is a perpetual deity that has made its way all the way through human history down to Revelation chapter seventeen. And so even a couple of years ago at the Commonwealth Games, you have a woman riding a beast into the arena and people worshiping <laughs> I mean, literally, uh, and it all pictures a virgin. You know, it's the virgin of Revelation chapter 17. So, so now these are these are good. That's a really good question and very pertinent. So, to 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 that's a good question. So, uh, and that's why when I said something about the thigh and and I was talking about you don't look too long. That's what I really was alluding to, because when you go through Proverbs and you look at the whorish woman. She's deceitful, and she's drawing people in. But she's no virgin. So uh, that is somewhat of God calling her the virgin, you know, in, in Isaiah, and yet she's the whore of perdition in Revelation chapter 17. Same system. And so he actually, that's, revel, that's, revel, that's good revelation. When you compare Scripture with Scripture and you put it all together, you cannot miss. Like what I'm saying right now, you can't, I mean, I don't say you cannot, but if you're if you're informed and you understand this doctrine and you, and you understand like what Rome teaches about the Virgin Mary, you cannot miss it. I mean, you just literally cannot miss it. It's like wow, that is like laying right there on the table that they worship, and they do worship Mary. They venerate Mary. You're right. If you want access to God, you go through Mary. And, you know, i got friends that believe that, and they're still my friends, and we vehemently disagree because it's, it's a heresy. If you, if you take the Bible as the absolute authority, of which in this church, this is the authority, not me. The Bible is the authority. So, um, so no, good question. Very good. All right, a little bit deeper into, than I wanted to go into that, but that's good. That's why we have Bible study. Are you guys, anybody like, I'm going to make more questions and answers. You're like, what are you talking about? All right. Okay. So, and let me just put my commercial out. I love Catholics. 
How many in here were Roman Catholic at one time? Yeah, one, two, three. And on a given Sunday, I bet we'd have 25 or 30 people. So it's not like we're Catholic haters. We're full of Catholics at our church. Well, that's true. Uh, but <clears throat> anyway, in their system, you're born in. And uh, in our system, you're born again. And there's two different, it's two different things. Although they use that name, there's another former Roman Catholic. <laughs> Sorry to point you out. Yeah, <laughs> so, but uh, we were just talking about Mary being venerated as the virgin, perpetual virgin, and never have having. Now, you were pretty, brought up pretty staunch Catholic, right? Did you, did you learn that in school? Did they teach that in the catechism? They did teach that. Yeah, Pat Shell, one of our founding first salvations, first fruits of Heartland, she grew up, her family was so hardcore Catholic that they were like, they had the Shiite Catholic. They literally, like they had to be within a, a certain distance of the church. Her mom would not live. I mean, they were very, you know, and the rosary was a serious deal. I mean, just, you know, God, I mean, seriously, I say God bless them. I feel bad for for that, you know, people that are deceived. They're very sincere. They're just sincerely wrong. And so, um, but, you know, when you're really steep, if you're steeped in it from your birth and you go to Catholic school and all that, you're probably going to be taught that doctrine along the way. But they don't know. It's not a, in America. They're not going to promote that as much as they might in the Philippines or uh, some other country. Catholicism will not promote the Mary. They, they change their, their colors depending on where they are in the world. Yeah. Well, in Europe, Europe, well, that's without getting too far back into last week's message, uh, last Wednesday night, but in, in Europe, there was no freedom of religion to speak of unless you were in the Netherlands or eventually in England. But even, even you know, even uh, Paul Bunyan was persecuted and put, spent a lot of time in jail. Or John Bunyan. I said Paul Bunyan. Uh, <laughs> and ba- babe the big blue ox. And so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but John Bunyan, uh, thank you, Ron. Um, John Bunyan was was imprisoned, and uh, uh, he was circa. Um, I don't remember somebody. What's the date on John Bunyan? Was he? I think he was eighteen, seventeen, eighteen hundreds. So, um, so uh, whatever John Bunyan. But I mean, Baptist persecution was going on here in the United States, well, in the colonies before the Revolutionary War. So uh, by both Protestants and, I mean, Roger Williams was persecuted by Protestants. That's how you got Providence, Rhode Island. So um, there was no freedom of religion is my point. And so a lot of people were Catholic because that's, I mean, if you're born in, if you're born in Germany, you're Lutheran. If you're born in, in, uh, in Italy, you're Catholic. If you're born in England, you'd be, you'd be under the crown, so you'd be an Anglican. You know, that's, that's you know, it's hypothetically how it was for that's why the ages were dark, and that's why the Bible was a threat, because once common men could read the Bible, they could start seeing completely how this was a sham, and, uh, and hence, here we are today. Okay, so let me, I, 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 let me get back on track here. So Israel was um, ashamed as well. So we just saw God judge. I didn't put the verse up here, so let's just throw that one up there since we had so much discussion about it. Isaiah, what was that, Isaiah 47, 1 through 3, that was, that was a lot of 
unplanned discussion. Isaiah, oh, that's okay. That was, no, that's okay. Isaiah, I think the Holy Ghost probably wants us to talk about that. Isaiah, what did I say, 40, 47, where my Bible's at. Isaiah 47. Uh, my problem is not waking up. Yeah, I, my brain is just toasted. All right. So, um, all right. And then you have just a few more mentions, and I'm not, I'm, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Israel was ashamed because of her indiscretion, too. So here you have Babylon. And I think we've, for tonight, we've talked enough about um, her thigh. But then you have, in Jeremiah, God has, he mentions... It's hard for me to write like this. You guys probably can't see over the chairs anyway. Jeremiah thirty-one nineteen. So Israel's also mentioned here. So let's check this out. Somebody turn to Jeremiah thirty-one nineteen. Where's that mic at? Anybody else want to read? Yeah. You want to read, Jeff? Okay. Yeah. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Okay, so Jeremiah is talking about himself, um, <clears throat> but Israel uh, not in, is, is also uh, likened to the daughter of, of the Lord, not, in, not right here, but he uh, he says here that that he he was smote upon my I was smote upon my thigh so he got hit on the thigh and he was confounded and he bore his reproach he bore the reproach of his youth and uh, it caused him to 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 repent and so um, hang on just a second yeah and and then um, in Ezekiel chapter twenty one in verse twelve the Bible says cry how son of man for it shall be upon my people. It shall be upon all the princes of Israel. Terrors by reason of the sword shall be upon my people. Smite therefore upon my thigh. And then, in, and this is the last one, Ezekiel 24, 4. Gather the pieces thereof into, into it, even every good piece, uh, the thigh and the shoulder, and fill it with the choice bones. And that's just talking about an animal. That's the last mention. So the last mention is literally just talking about, in Ezekiel 24, uh, about a sacrifice. So... Actually, we have just covered all the references. I touched on them. I didn't hit everyone in every verse. We touched on all the references of thigh, and we started talking about under the thigh. So let's get back to the question at hand, which is what in the world is this thing? Now that we've looked at this, we've got all these thoughts going through our head. Jeff, you had your hand up. Did you have something you wanted to throw out? Okay. So as you can see, we've gone, just without even actually coming back to the question, we've gone a lot of places. We've thought a lot about what this means. Um, some of the references are just super practical, like some of them have to do with a sacrifice. Some of it has to do with uh, Jeremiah getting smote on the thigh. Hmm. Now, there's another word that I would throw in here that uh, that would really that blows this up, and we don't have time to walk through all the verses together. And that's the word loin, which is near the thigh, right, or can be including the thigh. And, and I bring that up as we as we as I kind of just I'm going to dive down on the answer to this here is. We've, you know, when I talked about the promised seed and some of the typology here, and you notice, well, one of the things that we notice is this issue of having the hand under the thigh 
is really only mentioned with Abraham and Jacob. And it's only mentioned with their seed. And it's, only, and it's dealing with God's promises to them. One being finding his, Isaac's bride. The other being promising Jacob that his bones will not be left in Egypt. Which is also what we're learning on Sunday morning about his seed, not seeds, being taken out of Egypt. Which is, a dual, again, another dual prophecy. Literally, the nation of Israel needed to be taken out of Egypt, which he was. But also, um, uh, but also, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ went to Egypt and then came out of Egypt as a child. Uh, and then, of course, went on to um, be the Messiah. So when Herod killed the, 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 children, uh, the children two and under, Jesus was in Egypt. And then he came up out of Egypt. And so uh, that's, as, and he's the son of God, and Israel is. In, in, in Exodus as a son. So that's, that's in Exodus chapter 4, we, I think verse 21, we talk about that. Okay, so the thigh. So the thigh, uh, and I don't, I, I don't believe that we have to go to Hebrew to, to find out the answers to this. I think we've got enough information here just to look at it in our English Bible and go, okay, the thigh. This is obviously a big deal to put your hand under Abraham's thigh and and have a vow there, right? And you, and in both cases, it's a son, right? So we know that the end of the story, the last mention, which we started with, is the Lord Jesus Christ has a name on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And really, these do circle back, right? So there's a promise made to Abraham by God that his seed is going to inherit the stars of heaven, and the sands, I mean, it'll be multiplied like the stars of heaven and the sand of the sea, innumerable. I mean, it's, the increase of his government, Isaiah 9, 6, we eventually learned, will be no end. And that is not just talking about Abraham or just, or just Isaac or just Jacob, but the promised seed. As it comes down through David, we get a kingdom, we get a throne that's going to be established forever and ever. And we come down through the Bible and we find ourselves back at Revelation 19, 16. With that seed coming back in his strength, in his glory, the king of kings and lord of lords, the rightful heir to the earth. And he not only deserves it because he created it and is the author of life, but he also earns it because he's the only man that ever kept the law. So he gave his word and he fulfilled his word and he's the fulfillment of the law. And so we all put our faith in Jesus Christ to be saved. That's the that's the New Testament application, of, of course, and that's really in every dispensation, uh, you know, it's grace and faith. Uh, in what in the revelation that God's given, we have the whole counsel of God, and we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law. So, man, we're on, and we're, we're we have no excuse. Uh, okay, so hand on the thigh, strongest part of a man, um, and so it's it's the strength of the vow. It's the strength of the promise. It's also him stewarding that. He is Eleazar understands the weight. Now, if I was teaching in some Bible college somewhere, we'd probably get into some sort of etym. Uh, I don't know, it's, uh, some sort of archae not archaeology. Uh, the words uh, escaping me. There's a fancy word for it. And it's no, 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 no. Just forget that. I don't need to be talking big words, fifty cent words. Anyway, you know, we would get into all this uh, anthropology and be talking about. 
about why this is significant and, and all of this, and, and, and then we'd probably leave it there in some ancient cultural context. But there's more to it than that. That's why I took all the time to look at through the whole Bible. A lot of guys just stopped there. And certainly at this time, they, okay, yeah, this is how covenants were probably made, et cetera, et cetera. But there's more to it than that because God put it in the Word of God, and he's painting a picture, and he's showing us, right? We even know from Ephesians 6, right, your, your loins of your mind— Right, or also likened to the thighs, gird up the loin of your mind, but also when you put the whole armor of God on, you have your, your, your loins are girt about with truth. And God's word, Jesus says, he said, thy word is true, right? His word is truth. So, so it is that, 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 that promise that he is making. Eleazar, I need you to carry this out. And it is in context of the promised seed that is coming. This is a big deal. And so Eleazar went out, and God led him being in the way. The Lord led, and uh, and led him led him to Rebecca. And of course, we know how that went. And through Isaac came another seed. That promised seed was Jacob. And Jacob, of course, through him comes the twelve tribes, which ended up becoming the, the twelve or the twelve sons that become the twelve tribes. Uh, and of course, eventually we eventually have a kingdom through David and all those promises. The messianic highway is laid out. But it starts with this first mention, and it actually finds its way to the last mention in Revelation 19. Now, there's a lot of in-between stuff there. It's like, well, this may or may not have anything to do with it, but it still gives you insight on the purpose of the thigh. And you also, interestingly enough, find that there's a false religious system, and her thighs are mentioned, interestingly enough. And she's seductive. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Give him the mic. <laughs> yeah, Bob. Just a thought, but when uh, someone is being sworn into public office, what do they do? They put their hand mm. on the Bible. Some of them put their hand on a Quran or some other. Yeah. Maybe these guys didn't have their Bibles handy, handy and necessarily around all of those scrolls. So one way of taking an oath would be to put your hand under. Thigh. Oh, I'm glad you said that, Bob. And when you when you use that, keep it near your mouth. It's, it's just it's just designed. If you don't keep this right here, it goes away. So anyway, or they got to crank it up in the back. So what Bob said, if you I don't need that there. Okay, if yeah, what Bob said was if you. Uh, if you, and amen, like we put our hand on the Bible, well, we don't, but the politicians and stuff, right, that, that represents an oath of office, you know, and you can't go any higher than God. It's the highest. Um, but what you said about the scrolls, that's another thing, or the scrolls, obviously, uh, and Bob knows this, there was no scrolls yet. There was no Bible. God was talking directly. To these guys it's interesting after this what do we have i'm glad you brought this up we don't have the word until exodus right and then we don't see this anymore hand under the thigh why because they had the word of god they had the they had sinai god gave them the law and then when that wasn't when that vow wasn't kept by israel guess what shiloh came the peacemaker jesus and he took the war between humanity 
and our flesh and the perfect nature of the law and, in, and brought both, all, both of those in one man in Christ, the Bible tells us, became one in Christ because he fulfilled the law. So men were desperate. There was not a perfect man other than Jesus. If it was not for Jesus, men would never be able to reconcile with the law because we broke it. We weren't as good as Eleazar, type of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> right? We, we broke it, and we couldn't keep it. But Jesus came and brought us together, and that is why he is better than the law. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. The law is not bad. It's our schoolmaster to lead us unto Christ. And so, good, and that is a good point. That is an interest. I did, I forgot that. I did notice that earlier today. Why does it end with this, this promise about getting my seed out of Egypt, getting my bones out of Egypt? Well, because with his bones, Exodus comes the law. And now they make a covenant with God that we will keep the law and the sacrifices. And we're going to do it, Lord. And then by the time you get to Numbers 13, of course, they're not even going in the promised land. They're running the other way. So, you know, rebellion. But, uh, but at any rate, that's, uh, that's good. That's, that's, so just to summarize it, um, <clears throat> it's the strength. In a simple sense, it's the strength of that promise. Like you put the hand under the thigh, that is a heavy-duty promise, right? But then there's also a shadow of what that's going to mean someday. The Lord is coming back with all authority. He has a name on his side, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and it's no accident that the weaponry and the and the warfare deals with the thighs. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, the spiritual wickedness. God has given us a spiritual sword, right? When David killed Goliath, he chopped off his head with a sword. Well, guess what? We've got a sword. It's the it's a sharp two edged sword. And the Bible says, guess what? You need to gird up the loins. Okay, going away from thigh to loins, the loins of your mind. And so uh, we need to cover our head unless the devil come and take our helmet of salvation and steal the strength of our minds and our hearts, right, because of the Word of God. The Word of God is the seed, right, parable to sower. This is the Word of God. We sow the seed. Now, I don't believe we have to get into Hebrew, but I will tell you this. When I looked at the Hebrew root, interestingly, interestingly enough, this particular Hebrew word, is somewhat of a metaphor, not just for the thigh, but the reproductive parts that go with it. I don't think I'd have to have Hebrew to go there because we know it's associated with the loins and the promised seed, okay? So I'm not saying you need to have Hebrew, but if, you're, if you kind of have a hunch and you go back and you see that in the Hebrew and you're like, whoa, whoa. I didn't, yeah, and, and actually, the well, you, that's a good point. Um, she's saying didn't they slice the thigh because that's where the blood would come out. When they, they wanted in, I think it was, I'm trying to remember if that was Judges or, yeah, it was Judges where they, they hamstrung all the, the uh, horses. They couldn't run, and then they were just worthless uh, because you cut that leg. But it also, I'm glad you said that. It reminds me, also, if you dig a little deeper into Jacob's thigh and the hollow of his thigh, he never walked the same again. Right, so there was a tradition from that point on. The, the Jews remember that, 
and they wouldn't touch the uh, uh, sinew of the thigh in honor of what God, God's promise to Jacob. And so, and to remember that, which is basically acknowledging the authority of the Lord. Of the Lord. Yes, ma'am. That's a good question. Where is the hollow of the thigh, the bone? Oh, you're saying underneath the knee? Between the two ligaments. Between the two ligaments of the thigh. Oh, okay, the hollow. There you go. I'd have to look that up. I've always think of it as the bone. So, I've well, thanks Bob. I didn't know that. So, did anybody did you know that, Jeff? The hollow of the thigh is below the is above the knee. I did not know that. The back of the knee. If I did, I've forgotten it, which you can see is easy for me to do. All right. So, um so that's the hollow of the thigh. Good. Um so next time you're ripping those chicken bones apart, just that. <laughs> all right. That's about all I can know about that. I just kind of want to take you through kind of a process. So, like, if you're digging something out of the Bible, that's a good way to do it. So you're not just, like, taking Dr. So-and-so or what Brian. Because, I, honestly, I answered the question at the front door Sunday in about 20 seconds or less. Right? Oh, yeah, that's, that has to do with the weight of the covenant. And the thighs the type of, you know, and I just ran through it real quick. And, uh. Okay, that's the answer. But but really what's there's so much more to that when you really start and it goes off on different directions and you can start there's a lot more even what we've already looked at. You can start your mind starts going, you start thinking about the weight of the word of God, Jesus Christ, the truth, comes back, judgment and justice, fulfilling that promise to his seed. And uh and then these types get more important as you see as you read back through your Bible and your devotional reading. And, you, and you're looking at some of these types, it's like, wow. And you start seeing stuff, stuff I never taught you, stuff your ABF pastor never taught you. And then your Bible starts blowing up. You're running down through the hallway at your house screaming, this is awesome. You know, I, I see it. I, this is so cool. Or you're like Roger. You're like texting, hey, have you seen this before? No, Roger, but you did. That's awesome. So, <laughs> you know, that's a cool type. I never saw that. Uh, you know, that's good. I mean, that's excellent. That's what you want to do. You want to dig in the Word of God and, and allow God to speak from His Word. And the, and the Bible, let the Bible define itself. That's really the, ultimately the point of what I just did tonight, is just let the Bible speak for itself. On We believe God has preserved His words. Right? Psalm chapter 12, not just the, just not the general concept of His Word, His thought, His intention. He, he's, he's preserved. He promises in Psalms 12, I'll preserve my words. And and uh, in our English Bible, we've got the words of God, so study them and uh, and see where it takes you. All right, we got time for no more questions. So, um, you got another question? We can load up for next week. So Jason will be coming in and doing a series soon, but I don't have the date on it on uh, child rearing. So, uh, do you guys enjoy the QA format? Okay, good. We'll do it as long as you know it's it's edifying. Um, I enjoy it. No, I do. I'll do it. If I don't know it, yeah, I'll do it off the cuff. If I don't know it, all I got to do is say I don't know. So, if you don't know, Google it. No. If you don't know, don't Google it. If you don't know, study your Bible. Okay, there's a 
because Google will definitely not, often will not lead you to the right place. Okay, stop, please. Put this, no one can hear you. So put this out on where people can hear you. Thank you. If you're reading your Bible and you come to a part that you don't know, so you Google it and you ask what is the meaning of this verse and you get all kinds of of uh, different people with different opinions. So is it that a bad idea? Yes. Okay. Um, it's a bad idea to trust Google, um, especially Google. I'll give you an example of why. You do have to be very careful with Google, I mean, in, the, in search engines in general. I am not, and that, so this is what I'm not, I'm not saying everything that you would Google is bad. This is a good question. I'm glad you asked. So, uh, and I can answer this in five minutes or less. So, yeah. So the bottom line is, what is the absolute authority for faith and practice? Let's just, give me a verse. Faith comes by, and hearing by the, give me the reference. Romans 10, 17. A couple of you got it. All right. That, you know what? I'm going to give you grace because I am loaded with verses I don't know the addresses for. So uh, as you can tell, I can't remember it from here to there. It's very easily, so I'm, I'm pretty limited. But but this is the key, is, is faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So start with your Bible. Do your references. Use the principles of Bible study. First mention, last mention, full mention. Context, who's it written to? Historically, who's it written to? Um, uh, doctrinally, who's, and what's the devotional application? Are there any types I can see here that God just lays on the table? All that. Just do, do, just do your own analysis and investigation before you jump to Google and start asking questions. Because Google, this just happened to me the other day. Um, I was looking for something to do with Egypt on my study in Exodus. And so I don't remember what I was looking for. Probably an image. I'd search a lot of images on the Internet for my slides and stuff, you know. So for whatever reason, I'm looking for something. Or I may have been looking, sometimes I look for geography, like maps, because sometimes you can get some good maps on the Internet for stuff. And, uh, you know, like, where was this or where was that? And, and by the way, the maps are often wrong as well. But that's another story. So the point is is that is that I got on there, and, and like, the first mention of whatever I was looking for had something to do with the plagues or something. They had, you know, they were talking about how this is a, a myth. This is a Hebrew myth. And this in Hebrew mythology is what it said. And I'm like, that's it. That's in Wikipedia right off the bat, uh, which a lot of people go to Wikipedia. So um, I would just tell you this. There's, there's not everything that is out there is bad. But even if you, like, use Blue Letter Bible and you want to look at all the cross, those, those, those commentaries... Some of it's good, but a lot of it is, is, is subjective, and it will not lead you to the same answers as we just came up with here. And so let the Bible, let God be true and every man a liar, including this preacher. Seriously. Get, get, now, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Let me say this about that. If you come across something and you're like, man, I don't think Pastor Brian's right. I may be wrong. You might need to, maybe we need to straighten it out. And I'll, I'll correct it. I change, I have changed on things, you know, if I, if I see it differently. I'm like, oh, uh, the 430-year thing, actually, I think I've adjusted a little bit after recent study. 
because um, I was kind of down to 215, 215, and then I really got into that. I'm like, I'm not seeing that. So, okay, I give a lot of room, room for that kind of thing because it's obviously one of those things that not everybody's certain of. And it's, and if God, you know, okay, well, just, I just take God at what he says, and I got reasons and others don't. It's not worth dividing over, right? But if there is, I will tell you this, Pastor Randy, Pastor Jeff, all the pastors here, they study their Bibles. So if there's something they come across, you come across and you think, oh, that's not, that's not right. Okay, we'll talk to them about it, talk to us about it. We're not going to bite your head off. We're not going to call you a heretic. We'll work it out, you know. Um, but just know this, these dudes study their Bibles, right? <laughs> so they're not just up here spitballing stuff. And even though it probably looks like I'm spitballing stuff sometimes up here on Wednesday night, I'm not. So, so just, um, you know, give your pastors the benefit of the doubt and have the right spirit. But I will say this. I, I want to preface that. Um, but there ain't one of us, me included, that is the absolute authority. I'm not the vicar of Christ. So um, let God be true and every man a liar. We all have to. The last rule of Bible study is if, you, if God shows you something different, what are we supposed to do? Believe the Bible and change what we think to match what the Bible teaches. Right. And so uh, that's OK, especially if you've studied it out to the best of your ability. It's also OK to say, I don't know. I mean, I there are things, especially when you get into prophecy. I think this and you'll hear me. say, I think this. Uh, but I'm not going to get super dogmatic about it because I really don't. I'm not so certain about it that I think this does say it the Lord God. You know, we'll see when it happens. I think this, but I don't quite know for sure. You know, so you don't have to be the things that are, you do need to be certain of the words of God. If you start there and you're certain that God has preserved the word. Now, how are you going to get there? I was just witnessing to this young lady at Longhorn. This is a good place to stop. Uh, yesterday. And uh, uh, Doug Howie and I met. and We had some lunch. A great lunch. Really wasn't the best lunch. I was kind of disappointed. But anyway. Uh, great company. I got to say, shout out to Belton Longhorn. Best one in the country. But uh, uh, not so much in Canton. But anyway. So... Uh, so we get done. I'm, I'm witnessing to this girl at the at the hostess desk. She's just not saved and, and not sure she believes that God's real. She's I'm about 50% that God's real. So I'm witnessing to her and all of that. But the place I left her, without getting into all the details because we're out of time, is like, you know what, young lady? Um, and I, just, I didn't actually – I actually – I rolled into it by just telling her my testimony. I'm like – and I didn't say, oh. I just said, oh, man, I used to be like you. I remember the days when I thought like that. I started there, and then, and she kind of perked up, so I could tell she wasn't closing me down, like, get out of here, dude, because I don't want to talk to you. So she kind of perked up and was listening more. So I, I went ahead and told her, you know, how I used to wonder about creation. And then, I, you know, and I went down that road for just a really quick, you know, 20 seconds or less. <laughs> and then I said, you know, and then once I realized that this creation was just like could not possibly, we couldn't get order out of chaos, like, that was before the electron microscope, and <clears throat> that was before the Hubble telescope, and I was still dealing with that reality. I mean, that set in on me. I was struggling with, how can order come out of chaos? It just doesn't make, like, logical sense. <clears throat> and, then, um, and then I told her the next thing. I, that's, then, I got, then I got to the point where God started working on me with Jesus Christ, and I was telling her, you know, I, I thought he was a historical person for sure. I mean, we can't deny that historically. Cannot deny that. You know, so I went down the Andy Stanley Road with her for a moment, and uh, but I didn't stay there. Don't don't, don't shoot me. <laughs> so I didn't stay there, uh, and I said, "Hey, I didn't unhook from the Bible." So I, then I took her to the Bible, 
I said, you know how you're going to know that Jesus Christ is who he said he is? Is studying the scriptures. You know, I was shocked at her answer or her response to that. She was still with me. She hung with me through that whole thing, which was probably about 90 seconds or maybe 120 seconds, something like that. <clears throat> and I, I rolled through it pretty rapidly and in a conversant manner, uh, trying to get to Jesus being son of God, you know. And she's like, and she said, her response was like, I said, you know what really convinced me was the Bible. The more I read it, the more you look in the Bible. I said, it was the Bible itself that convinced me. And then I looked at her and I said, if you read the Bible, the God that created everything will speak to you and he'll show himself to you. And she was like, really? I was like, really? And about that time, Doug came out and and then chaos erupted. So I had to leave it. I never got any further than that, unfortunately. Um, And so um, that's, by the way, an admonition. That's why we need to have tracks ready and be ready to give to people. But that young lady, I'm praying for. <clears throat> she has relatives that are Christians on one side of her family, and then she's kind of got like pagans on the other. So she's kind of caught in the middle. So uh, uh, the point is, though, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God is the authority, and that's what gets us saved. That's what gets us. That's where the truth's at. It's not on. I mean, you really can't trust. <clears throat> as the days, let me put it this way. If, if my thesis that um, the, the holy that the internet is a faux Holy Ghost, um, F A U X, <laughs> is a not a yeah, is a faux Holy Spirit, right? It's everywhere all the time. It's full of knowledge. It teaches you all things whatsoever you could ever want to know. But it's not the Spirit of God. Then I'm really not going to tell you to go there to find the answers to the truth go to the truth and let the the holy ghost the holy spirit of god teach you all things whatsoever he has said to you right i'm not getting legalistic i'd be a hypocrite i use my internet i use the internet to help me run some verses here i'm not saying you know i'm not going to go too fundy on you like that but i'm just saying don't do not short circuit the holy spirit and the word of god the word of god the holy spirit Use your tools, use your concordance, use your search engines. I'm not do all that. But the Word of God. You know, Randy made a comment at the Bible conference about writing the Bible out. I highly recommend it. I do that too. There's something about pausing your life and writing things out that just, maybe not with everybody, but with me, it just helps. Helps me process, it helps me think, it helps give the Holy Spirit time to teach me or to help me think about questions and things I need to study further. It just helps sanctify <coughs> your time and your meditation on the word. See, meditation in the in the world sense is emptying your mind. You know, sitting in silence in the stillness of the water and emptying yourself. Well, that's that's actually demonic, by the way. That's an Eastern meditation. That's an Eastern philosophy of meditation. A biblical meditation is filling your mind with truth, emptying your mind certainly of self, but filling your mind of with truth. That's what you, you have substance to meditate on. You know, faith is the substance of things not seen. <coughs> faith is the, oh my goodness, I just butchered that. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. How does that go? Let me read it. Let's just trust the Bible over what the preacher said. Hebrews chapter, faith is the, where's that at? I know Bob's. Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the substance of things not seen. Things hoped for, right? There you go. The evidence of things not seen. All right. 
Now, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So uh, it's real and it's, uh, it's substantial it's substance, but you got you got faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So let let the Lord show it to you from the word first, and then you can use your tools and stuff, but don't get too caught up in definitions you find on the internet because they could be just as wrong as they are right. I'm not saying they're all wrong, but I'm also not saying they're right. Yeah. Oh, well, this I'm over by six minutes, but let me tell you one last thing. If you go and ruin this message that Code preached last night. So he takes, this is a good example of what we're talking about. He takes famous preachers, quotes them up on the screen. And and the whole crowd in this church, they're just like us. They're oohing and they're on. And I'm back there guessing. I bet, oh, I bet that was, you know, so-and-so. I bet this is so-and-so. I was wrong on some of them, and most of them, actually. A lot of ladies up there, they had quotes on. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, but there's plenty of other guys that say the same stuff. Anyway, so he gets all these quotes, and he's going through them. And some of them are so absurd. And they're preachers saying things about the Word of God that if you don't know the Bible, sound really good. I mean, just sound really good, but every one of them is twisted and perverse. And the crowd, of which I was part of, a few of I like literally we were going, oh, or oh, or oh. You know, you saw the quote and you read it and it's like, oh. You know, you could just see like how wrong it was. Cringeworthy. Yeah, some of them were just ridiculous. Some of them were more subtle. And what was so telling about that example is he looks at the young people sitting over here and some of the college kids sitting over here. He says, you know who didn't do and all and grunt and groan? Those folks. Why? They don't know their Bible. And whose job is it to help them with that? Yeah. But his also his point is all of our jobs to study, to show our... It does not a matter what I say, right? It matters what the Word of God says. It's not... You don't under... If you know what's true, then you automatically see a lie. Right? We've talked about that before. And so it was a really good illustration. And it's very telling because he was right. Young people see those statements and they think that's the Bible because some religious guy that has a big ministry said it. Or some lady that sells a lot of books. Or even maybe your church had a Bible study with her name on it, God forbid. <clears throat> Heartland. Uh, yeah. Perverse. Oh, uh, if you guys want to see the certainty, I, and I recommend you guys watch those. They're good. Go to, you know, lffellowship.org, com, LF Fellowship. Just Google that. And put in certainty conference. And uh, it'll come up. First, yeah, it, they're all up. They're all up right now because they're done for tonight. So, um, but anyway, that was just a good one. Last night was good. I'm sure tonight was good. And every, all, every night was good. So, all right, let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Let's stand together. I'll get you guys, get your blood pumping, get you ready to go get your kids. Give Mitch and Jody a high five. Thank you. Thank them for loving up on your kiddos. And we'll get out of here. So, thanks, brother. Hey, Jamie D., you want to close us in a word of prayer?